was gone. World was on fire, no one could save me but we're the only ones who matter, and everything they've taken from us, we're going to take back and more. It's strange what desire will make foolish people do. The great victory I saw in the flames, all of it was a lie. What a wicked game you play. Make me feel this way. What a wicked thing to do. Every one of us is poor. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Lucky Dog Podcast. This is your host, Elias Roush. Check out the link below for all donations and subscriptions and all social media. Thank you for listening to the Lucky Dog Podcast. Today we are discussing Game of Thrones, Season 6, Episode 10, The Winds of Winter. The Winds of Winter is directed by one of my favorite directors, Game of Thrones directors and just favorite directors, Miguel Sapochnik. He directs 9 and 10 of... uh, Season 6 of Game of Thrones, but he's also directed uh, the movie Repo Men. He uh, is also known for being a Game of Thrones director on Season 5's The Gift and Season 5's Episode 8, Hard Home. And he is going to be joining the directors for the final season um, episodes three and five in season eight. So I'm really looking forward to Miguel Sapochnik and his, uh, superior directing abilities. Um, the last two episodes by far, I've come to the conclusion have to be some of my favorite Game of Thrones episodes, just from, uh, technicals down to the cinematic value, down to um, the action down to the boilerplate narrative that has been happening over the course of the last two seasons. So in comparison to season five, season six is really in uh, a positive step forward in the storytelling telling narrative, I would say, um, most of season five was kind of a downer, in my opinion. You can kind of hear it in the uh, recap I gave. But season six kind of has, a, you know, a mellow opening with the, the red woman coming back. I, okay, so let's let's kind of do a quick synopsis of uh, what we have uh, need to recap between seasons five and six. So in episode one, we find out about the red woman in the episode titled The Red Woman. Uh there is not much development when it comes to the Red Woman when it uh, comes down to it. We find out she's like a 900-year-old lady or 600 or whatever at the end of that episode. But it doesn't ultimately culminate to anything by the end of season um, season 6. Um, by the you know by the start of season 7 that none of that has really been touched. The only thing is we know that she's been around for a lot longer than what she says. And evidently there really is some sort of magic going on. I mean, we, we did see the uh, shadow baby and everything like that, but um, there, she does have some real type of uh, visual magic going on. Um, 
So that's what we find out in episode one. Episodes one, two, three, I believe, are kind of slow for the majority of uh, how they start out. Uh, it's uh, episodes two was home, and we had to deal with the whole Arya storyline. We'll, we'll kind of go through the. We'll talk about the season along with uh, the characters and how their story arc pans out by the end of season six. So. We had to deal with the whole Arya storyline, and Arya is dealing with the whole faceless, um, what is it, the uh, faceless men, and it ends up panning out into the Lady Crane of it all. Well, I, I like a lot of people, were not a fan of the whole Lady Crane scenario. I did like the, the play within a play kind of thing. It definitely reminds me of how... Joffrey has that uh, quote-unquote reenactment with uh, the the dwarfs in his last uh, episode, and uh, they're talking about the War of the Five Kings. I believe they're you know they're fighting, kind of doing a reenactment. Well, they do the same thing here, but I think that's around the middle episodes where Arya regains her sight back, and she has to attend this play to go take out Lady Crane. We know how it pans out with the waif and the whole Lady Crane of it all. We'll just finish it up right now. A lot of people don't like the waif. I don't think her acting is terrible for the fact that she was a massive fan. I had heard that uh, that's what the the whole waif storyline was. Um, that actress apparently was a massive fan, and she came onto the show. And I don't have um, her name's Faye Marze. Let me see if she has anything before this. She, yeah, Faye is actually uh, an actress. Now I'm looking at it. She has, uh, she's been in Black Mirror. She's been in You, Me, and Him, Shamed, McMafia. She has, she has uh, acting credibility. So she's, she's not a first time actress, is what I'm saying. I didn't think the wave, the acting was that terrible. I just thought it was the, uh, the execution of what they had her and Arya do. And the fact that we have to go through this whole no no one situation only for it to end in a battle that we don't end up getting to see. Um, so it was majority of the scenes were Arya getting her ass kicked for the majority of the time when she's in the, um, the no one house or whatever the fuck, the black house of black and white. And so it was just annoying as hell to have to deal with all of that. Let's see. Let's hop on to the Daenerys storyline. I mean, we'll just talk through it the whole season. Daenerys is stuck with the Dothraki at the beginning of the season, and she slowly makes her way up through the totem poles. She just she doesn't have to stay with the Dosh Kaleen. Um, some terrible storyline that ultimately pans out in her obtaining more Dothraki uh, soldiers and. Like, you know, it was visually kind of cool in some of the places where she's, you know, being shown off as queen. But ultimately, I didn't like that storyline along with a lot of people. So it was kind of an eh situation until it gets kind of toward the end. Um, although I do like it a lot better than the this season five stuff going on. Season five just feels like small, small scale stuff until we get to um, season six. So, um, let's 
hop on to, uh, I guess we, we have uh, Tyrion over with uh, Daenerys by this point. Um, she, Tyrion does not have a great season um, after, I think, season four. I think a lot of people kind of hit, hit it, the nail on the head and said uh, after he kills his father and Shay, he just doesn't have his act together. And I'm not sure if it's the right, the, the, the writers of the show that are making him make poor decisions or if Tyrion is not supposed to be as smart as he once was or as clever because the first few seasons he's so, um, you know, clever and cunning with, you know, his ability to, you know, read and know tons of knowledge and just, you know, drink and know things. And it doesn't seem like he knows that much towards the end of, uh, towards the end of uh, this, the last few seasons. And, yeah, I'll just stop there before we, we talk more about it in Season 7 stuff. Uh, we're still doing Season 6 only. Um, season 6 and before. So let me see who else we got. Uh, okay, so Jon Snow is dead at the beginning of Season 6. And he's kept kind of on ice for two episodes and when this first was uh airing when I first saw it not on the rewatch but when I first saw it I was like hmm I'm not sure how I feel about Jon Snow being you know dead kept out of this um in such a you know dark manner and they were keeping his body around and the majority of podcasters and fans alike were just like, oh, yeah, he's totally coming back. You know, he's he's coming back. And I just wasn't sure. So when he comes back at the end of uh, episode two, I was like, hell yes, I'm absolutely ready for it. And I was like, I can't wait to watch episode three. But then when you watch episode three, um, John is kind of, you know, a sad sack again. And it's not the big rushing wave that I guess I was looking for in a performance for for John I guess it was more it was so much uh it was so closely based on someone that had you know witnessed you know going through I guess dying and coming back to life but witnessing nothing and I guess the fact that he witnessed nothing was not exactly a satisfying answer also, the fact that his death is so nonchalantly just kind of brushed over throughout the season and just just unaddressed. I don't understand why the fact people in this Game of Thrones world don't acknowledge the fact that people can come back to life relatively easily and John being one of them. Um, Derek, was, was is it Derek Dondarian or Barrett Dondarian in episode, I don't know, season two or something like that had come back several times and we see him get killed by the, the hound and brought back in, I don't know, the 10 minutes faster than John. So that's one thing I'm, I, that bugs me a little bit about the, the rules of the, the game, it's kind of like the shadow baby where it just goes unexplained and just says, oh, it's, it is what it is. Um, I don't like what it is, what it is. <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah. Let me see. In season six, we also get the Hound back. That's quite a surprise in episode seven. Although, uh, I was watching this with Kelly, and she immediately after uh, the Hound was knocked off the ledge by uh, Brienne in episode, you know, season four, she's like, oh, he's not dead. And when I watched this, I was like, He's totally dead. You know, I'd never thought that the Hound was going to come back after that shit. I mean, his bones were, like, popping out of his skin and stuff. I thought he was fucked. Turns out, he's back. And, uh... Excuse me. Uh, when he comes back, he's introduced with the character Brother Ray, who is this uh, kind of ex-murderer... I don't know, terrible individual who's kind of leading this uh, almost like biblical cult, but it's not like a negative biblical cult. It's more like an AA anonymous for Game of Thrones. You know, we've done terrible shit, but, you know, we're trying to redeem ourselves kind of thing. And uh, the way that that whole storyline's brought in, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to get from it because it seems like they're all trying to be re- redemptive. They're trying not to kill in the world of, uh, you know, Game of Thrones, and they've been terrible people, but they can be better. But they end up all getting murdered, and he ends up getting ha- hung, hanged, hung. Oh God, hung. If yeah, I'm just gonna say hung. So. It ultimately culminates to a point where you're like, I don't know um, if all of this time on these individuals were worth it for them just to die in the same episode. So, I don't know. It it, it just seems like a way to get you to care for the Hound. I don't know. Uh, I'm glad we have him back. I'm not sure if it was an organic way of doing it. Um, let's talk about Bran... Mira and Mira and the Three-Eyed Raven. Um, by now, you know about Hodor, one of the best well-kept secrets of Game of Thrones. Uh, episode 5, The Door. I will say the actual episode of The Door is not as memorable as I remember. Um, a podcast, uh, I think it was post-show recaps or something like that, they were talking about remember when you remember highlights of shows or Game of Thrones specifically, we tend to think of the entire episode as being as good as that one part that we remember. But I I, I kind of agree with that. So like when I was thinking back on uh, the door or the mountain and the viper, I was thinking of these amazing episodes, and to be honest, I thought they were good episodes, not great episodes, but they have an amazing sequence in them. And just like the Mountain and the Viper, that is an amazing fight in that, and it's you know subverts your expectation. Um, episode five in season six, the door, completely subverts your uh, expectation with uh, bringing in uh, the side character Hodor, and. Finding out his backstory, Willis, um, we're, we're doing some time traveling in the first few episodes with the Three-Eyed Raven and Raven and Bran, which is cool that we find out all this backstory on, uh, on uh, what's his face, uh, Ned and uh, the, the battle that he was in. 
um, trying to get his sister. Uh, but anyways, the, uh, the, the whole, uh, what is it called? Time traveling aspect is fucking with Hodor's head and, um, it was a complete mind fuck when everybody, you know, saw this for the first time. We were like, holy shit, you know? And, uh, rewatching this, it broke my heart having to watch this again. I was like, God dang it. This is, this is so hard to watch. Um, just, I guess I have, you know, more of connection with Hodor than I, I, or a lot of people might have more of a connection with Hodor than what I was thinking, uh, like Rickon. Isn't it, isn't it crazy that we care about, you know, uh, you know, the lovable giant that is non-related and has only one word for six seasons. He only says one word for six seasons, essentially. Um, almost one word for six seasons and we we don't care about the brother of one of the main characters of the show because he has hardly any you know character um development it's just uh it's amazing um also they really dropped the ball on rick on having a story if they ever wanted him to have a story because i during the battle of the bastards that's one thing it's just like seeing rick on die i remember it the first time watching it i was like when Sansa said he was dead, I was like, fuck, you know, Rickon's dead. And I already kind of didn't care about him. Um, but from, let's just go ahead and jump into the Battle of the Bastards. That was a crazy fucking episode. I mean, Miguel Sapochnik, God, just God dang, dude. You just fucking directed the hell out of that. And... I know that it, it probably took, uh, you know, a couple hundred, maybe a couple thousand crew members out there doing this, but I don't know how the hell this was filmed, and I, you know, applaud everyone in the making of it, even, you know, the showrunners that have the the writing technical ability that are doing this. They, they sold the hell out of this battle, which honestly worries the hell out of me for this last season coming up, because... Um, this, this battle is one of the biggest, and I, I think it's my favorite battle in Game of Thrones uh, so far that I've that I've seen, and um, I'm I'm talking in all of Game of Thrones, um, right now. So when you're hitting this high of marks at season six, um, it worries me to try to hit this again at season eight. So, um, but visually, uh, technically, and uh, down to the music, I was just on pins and needles the entire time watching, rewatching it. And I remember watching it the first time. I was uh, kind of uh, reliving this through um, vicariously through Kelly while she was watching it for the first time. And I was like, I wish I could be in the that situation of rewatching um, this battle for the first time because it was just one of the biggest. Uh, spectacles you've ever seen put to, uh, you know, put to film or, you know, put to, put to the meat, put to media. And, uh, yeah, just go, if you go back and watch it, it is amazing how it is filmed. There is, doesn't, there seems to be like two to three minute segments where it's shot completely different. So it's, the first shot is, you know, John figuring, you know, this is right after Rickon's, uh, you know, dead, mint shot dead, 
you know, John thinks he's about to be trampled by the uh, the army. But then two seconds right before he's about to, his army comes in and it is just a cluster. Just clash, clash, bash. It's just, it's, it's chaos. And uh, it's, I think the uh, first, what is it? The first, um, what is it called? The first, uh, the first scene within the battle is like this one take that's like, I mean, John is taking out like two, three different guys every two to three different seconds. There's horses running around getting trampled. A giant is punching them. There's like arrows coming down. There is, you know, people like, I'm pretty sure there's people on fire being stabbed. And, you know, he was telling people to go do shit. And, uh, you know, as soon as he'd go tell them to do an order, their head would get sliced off. It was insane. Um, I can't do it justice, you know, talking about it, but you know, if you've, you're listening to this, you've probably watched it by now. It's just, uh, it's, it's insane. And that's just like in one take from that one take, it'll go to another shot where it might show like a wide shot of what's going on. And, uh, it'll start, you know, get you pumped back up because, uh, it'll show it, it shows the battle in like five or six different perspectives, whether, the bodies are piling up like they um like the the showrunner said they did and uh, I think the civil war happened that there were so many bodies that people were fighting on top of bodies and uh then at one point the battle turns to uh this like Spartan Roman style where they circle uh you know our protagonist and they're doing this like huh huh who and you know they they sh- they they're stabbing them with the um uh spears and daggers and shit like that in the circle and it has you on fucking pins and needles you think that in several scenes that you know this is it's going this way and then another side's going this way and then before you know it the uh the the armies are both dwindled down you know basically to the core right before the knights of the veil and sansa decide to join the fray he just decide to join the uh join the battle and come in and save the day deus ex sansa so rewatching it um sansa does have a conversation with um john before the battle and by the way, when he's being suffocated in that battle, I was like, holy fuck, this is claustrophobia to the max. Um, back to back to the Sansa John conversation before. Um, they they have a conversation that makes it sound like she's about to say something about Littlefinger, which I don't understand why they don't bring up the Knights of the Vale in the first place. They feel like they should be the first ones loyal to the Starks, given their kin to Catelyn Stark and... Catelyn was uh, betrayed, so I, it just felt natural that the Vale should have joined um, them in the first place. I wish there was kind of a line or of dialogue or two that said that John had, you know, tried to reach out to them but was unsuccessful. So, um, yeah, that was the only thing I was a little bit nitpicky about when it comes to the battle. But that's just story me- mechanics. Um, we see. <clears throat> Ramsey's horrible ass. Um, he ends up getting eaten by his dogs that he has starved. And 
Sansa watches. It's kind of uh, horrific to watch and visualize that, I guess. Except for if you're Sansa. Um, not too much to say about that. Ramsey was a horrible fucking dude, and I forgot that he was in so much of Game of Thrones. But without having Ramsey on the table, it feels like one of the main you know, um, antagonists now are uh, Cersei, who has uh, done some crazy shit back in King's Landing, which we'll talk about momentarily. Um, let me see anything else we need to discuss about them. Um, I'm going to go ahead and jump forward a little bit and kind of just finish up some of the, uh, side plots. Arya comes back to, um, Westeros kind of unceremoniously, and I guess I'm kind of doing a a recap of episode 10 now. Um, this is, well, let's go ahead, let me, um, let me just start episode 10 real quick and we'll discuss it. Um, episode 10 starts off in someone, I I was listening to a podcast earlier, I think this was Joanna Robinson or something like that, and David Chen, um, Cast of Kings podcast, but they were discussing the first 10, 20 minutes of, uh, season, um, six, episode 10, The Winds of Winter, and how it opens, and it's this, uh, you know, kind of tolling of the bell, all the roosters have come to nest kind of thing. Isn't that what it's called? Or is it chickens come to come to roost? Chickens come, I don't know. But anyways, um, all of these, uh, you know, important power players, uh, Tommen, you have Queen Marjorie, we have uh, the High Sparrow. We have all these power players that are getting ready for this um, trial. And... The way it's shot, the way it's acted, you can see the the disillusion on Tommen's face. It, you know, he's ready to, I guess, put his mom back in jail because of what she's what she's done to uh, Marjorie and uh, I guess everyone else. Um, but the way it's shot is so dynamic, and it feels almost like. Um, a dance, almost kind of like the battle. The battle almost felt like a dance and how crazy it was because everything had to be choreographed almost just as um, detailed as a dance. Um, So yeah, this also feels very much like a dance in the way that it's, I don't know, um, edited and laid out. Um, But you you can essentially watch the first 10 minutes, 20 minutes without sound. Um, but we lose Master Pycelle to the kids, and apparently this is, he gets stabbed by these kids or something like that. He gets, um, taken out by, um, what's his name? Oh yeah, he's, uh, taken out by Kyburn, fucking Kyburn's ass. But anyways, um, this whole intro to, um, the last episode of season six is amazing. It's it's uh, beautiful how it's executed. Um, rewatching it, you see how how Marjorie knows that this shit is about to go down way in advance than most of the people. Um, let's see anything else. Let's see anything else. 
So when Lancel is stabbed in the, um, I don't know, in the cellar or whatever, where, where the dragon fire is, I think that's what it's called. Dragon, dragon fire. Yeah, I think it's. But anyways, you see the green oozing out of the barrels. And when first watching that, I was like, "What the hell is that? I don't even know what the hell that is." Um, but if you remember, if you go back and rewatch, and you've seen some of these um, uh, flashes that Bran has been having, he has like this one quick montage of what, uh, when he's uh, uploading all the stuff from the Three Eyed Raven. He sees green explosions, and I guess we were supposed to think originally that that was the you know the past, but it's actually, I'm assuming it's supposed to be the future, which is what Cersei does, and you know makes the um, uh, makes everyone you know go up in flames. So the way that it's executed, like I said, the first twenty minutes is uh, absolutely beautiful, and. Uh, the crypt goes up at the twenty-minute mark, or something like that, and uh, yeah, everyone gets blown up. Even the guy gets whacked by that fucking bell. <laughs> he gets he gets fucked up, and uh, Thomas uh, Thomas Tommen witnesses the entire thing, and he's an absolute shock. We know what ends up happening to him um, with the suicide angle, and it is it's rough. Um, I I guess. Like Kelly could predict that he was gonna jump out of the um window, but um I didn't see that coming. I mean she she predicted it um about five or six seconds before it was about to happen, so I was surprised. Um what do we have? Cersei um is torturing Septunella. Um I forgot how bad Septunella was to her, so it's kinda hard to feel too bad for her. Although I don't know how many people need to be um, <laughs> need to be tied up and uh, taken advantage of by the mountain, um, definitely not what I'm. I would want to sign up for ever. So um, let's uh, hop on over to Walder Frey, and he's kind of discussing with the Lannisters. You know, it's great to be king, or you know, it's, it's great to be on top, kind of thing. Not great to be king, but it's great to be on top. Um, but Jamie's basically saying, you know, we were the ones that handled the shit, not you. And so, uh, uh Walder Frey is just kind of like, well, well, fuck you then, you know? And he, he doesn't really give a fuck, honestly. He's just like, um, he just wants to have some respect. And I don't know, we, we know what ends up happening to Walder Frey because he's a terrible fuck. Um, so Arya ends up getting him later. Um, Sam Tolly goes, ends up at the Citadel and has, uh, I don't know. It's kind of funny seeing him interact with some of the maesters that aren't, they're, they're so dry, um, with their interaction and not very warm, I guess, but, um, you see how happy Sam is with, you know, being at the Citadel and it's, it's good to have him there. Um, you know, having somebody with the brains and the knowledge. So, um, Davos banishes the Red Woman with John, and that's kind of expected, but I don't know why he didn't ask this before. I understand it was a little bit more stressed and needed John back alive, but it just didn't make much sense to me why he'd wait this long, or the fact that he would even find that little statue that he carved for. Um, I wonder what it means that it lasted through the fire. Um, 
John and Sansa kind of make up a little bit, and uh, then we flash on over to Lady Olenna and the Sand Snakes um, making an alliance with Varys and um, Daenerys. Daenerys, uh, we're, now we're back over with Daenerys and Dario. We get rid of fucking Dario. I hated this guy. He was so fucking cocky. I'm sorry if this guy's listening to this podcast, but I just hated the way it was uh, just portrayed. He might be one of my most hated characters on the show just because he's so cocky and it feels like the other character that played him was the guy that should be getting the rewards, should be, you know should be talking with Daenerys, not him. It is it's just it's so night and day for me. It just it did not blend well at all. So, um I'm gonna get a little water. Yeah. Yeah. Need water. Anyways, um Tyrion is crowned, uh not crowned. He is named Hand of the Queen and he's almost in tears about it. It it is it's actually a sweet scene. Um, I enjoy it, but he has not had very good ideas since then, and she even acknowledges that throughout the season as well. Um, so it's like I'm, I, I hope he makes good decisions in the future as her uh, confidant. Um, <clears throat> Baelish and Sansa are talking, and he definitely confirms that he wants her by her side while he's on the Iron Throne, and she says, "Buck that." We see how his reaction is later, um, when they're screaming "King of the North" for uh, John, and we know that he's not a John fan. Um, Benjen, Mira, and uh, Bran are left uh, close to the wall, and uh, John flashes over to um, to Ned. And, uh, Ned is, uh, you know, consoling his sister who is, um, dying. I believe she has, let me see. Okay, so, yeah, we, we find out at the end of this that, uh, Ned is um, promised by his sister that he has to keep John a secret. And so by the end of this, we know that John is actually um, part Targaryen, I believe, because that's he's part Rhaegar's son. So um, it's so... Uh, damn, it's fucking bloody in that bed. Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry. The... Uh, <clears throat> Um, the way it's edited makes it look like that John is um, is the baby. So, and his name's Eight. His name's not Aegon. It's something else. Aragon. Aegon. Something. Something gone. I, either way, uh, we're gonna call him John. So we find all of that out by the end of uh, season six, episode ten, which just tops it on top of this to make it a great episode. And. Uh, on top of that, they name every the people that were once denying denying him um, are now calling him King of the North. Uh, Jamie rolls on back to um, King's Landing, and she he 
<clears throat> witnesses Cersei um, taking the throne and uh, basically claiming herself as queen. And uh, that's fucking crazy. I, I, I wouldn't want to be that in that situation. And he doesn't seem too happy about it. Uh, and then the last scene is Daenerys, uh, Tyrion, and company, and Varys, and Missande, and we have uh, three different houses backing Daenerys heading to Westeros by the end of this. Looks dope, gets his hype, excellent season. Let's start on the spoilers for anyone that has seen past season six, episode ten. Okay, so we're talking about spoilers for anyone that's seen past Season 6, Episode 10. It's a real shame to see how uh, Marjorie uh, ends up... I wanted to see... Well, actually, the entire household of Highgarden is taken out by the end of Season 7, so... um, I guess I just wanted a little bit more Marjorie in it. Let me see what else we got. Um, Sorry, I'm running this a little fast. The High Sparrow, I could literally give a shit less about this guy. I don't know if he's in the books, but if he is, um, I hope he's written a lot better. Because this shit was terrible. I hated the High Sparrow. Every time he was on on screen, I was ready to fall asleep. And I'm sorry if you liked him, but I just didn't feel like he was an adequate... um, bad guy and I'm sorry about Jonathan Jonathan Price because I love his acting I just just the way he was written is just so flat and it's uh I don't know just I did not care about the guy I wanted him to die the entire time so when he went up in flames it definitely made made the show a little bit more hype so I was ready um let me see what else we got on here for this episode um well, let's see we find out that John is a Targaryen. I thought that we found out John was a Targaryen at the end of season seven. Not see, my mind has completely shut down season seven, which is kind of worrying me. Going back and rewatching it, I haven't started it yet, but um, I have a feeling that it's not going to be as good of a rewatch if I can't remember the majority of the episodes. I know there's one episode that is the spoils of war. That is like one of the mega ones. Um, I, I think it has Alan Taylor as the director or something like that. And is it's a mega episode, but I, I remember not liking season seven as much. And so my, my brain has kind of shelved it. And I have season six as like the most recent, uh, game of Thrones season in my memory. And so it's going to be interesting to see how season seven plays. Um, I've really enjoyed going back and doing the rewatch. I think that it's kind of been, um, it's been, it, it has definitely been rewarding kind of going back and rewatching each season back to back to back so that you understand, um, how long things have been happening. Um, I think I said this in the season five review that it, when you're watching this week to week, it makes it feel like the seasons are longer, but, or like the time you spend with the characters is longer and technically it is, but, um, when you're watching it back to back to back, it, it goes a lot faster. So um, it is interesting seeing these uh, amazing actors and actresses uh, grow um, at all ages. So, yeah, it was uh, probably my favorite season, season six. Uh, we we know that there might be the three-headed dragon with Tyrion and um, 
Danny and John. Um, but the only thing I can remember is that awkward scene of Danny and John getting about to get it on um, at the end of season seven. And then Tyrion's like creeping around the corner like, where? Like, I, I was like, I don't know what the fuck to deal with that. Like, I don't know. I really hope they stick this the season eight landing. And that's that's what I'm hoping for. So um, thank you for listening to the Lucky Dog Podcast. Check us out on all the popular podcast apps we have the previous game of thrones seasons coming up um all available on the show notes and the links check all that out for the social medias please donate if you have one or two dollars you can this takes tons of time to go back and do all this it would be excellent helps us uh fray the cost of going to the movies and have to spend tons and tons of movies uh sorry movies money on tickets and whatnot so i appreciate all your donations all your ratings all your subscriptions can't do this without you the listener so thank you for listening to the lucky dog podcast email us at the lucky dog podcast at gmail.com for comments questions concerns and thank you for listening and take it easy I've never been much of a fighter. Apologies for what you're about to see.